Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 22 on how Abraham coped with stress and anxieties and how we are to biblically cope with stress and anxiety in our lives today. Now, this message is always available for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or also available online at itunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Every morning and also on social media, Tom Cantor puts out his daily devotional verse. So we want to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that will come to your phone or your email that you can receive that every day. It's just one verse from the Bible and a small one or two sentence commentary on that verse to encourage you in your daily friendship with God. So sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse on friendshipwithgod.org, on our website, friendshipwithgod.org. You can sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse or find it on Facebook. And you can search for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God, or Israel Restoration Ministries. You'll be able to learn more about our ministries as well as receive Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. And again, if you want to support this Bible teaching radio program, just call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, teaching us how Abraham coped with stress and anxieties. Uh, later, I will tell thee. This is very important words. God is saying, you go to one of the mountains, the last instruction on it says, you know, he puts all this checklist and, and he's got the end there. God's going to show me the mountain, mountain TBS to be shown. And so in essence, that last instruction is saying to Abraham, Abraham, stay tuned to God. Stay tuned to God. So he's checking off all of his things, and he gets to the end, and he says, stay tuned to God. And he says, check, I'm tuned in to God. I'm listening to God. That last instruction, stay tuned to God, is the most important instruction for Abraham. Abraham was in the danger, and he didn't even know it, of the danger of what we could call the already haves. He was in the danger of already haves, and he didn't even know it. You see, Abraham was in a danger like this. He was in a danger, and he wasn't aware of it. He could say, well, okay, I already have Isaac. Check. So why do I need God? I already have the fire. Check. So why do I need God for this? All right, I already have the wood. Check. What do I need God for? All right, I have a wood cut. Check. I know the place, the region I'm going to. Check. And Abraham could have very easily become all wrapped up in his already haves of his checklist of doing God's will and be in danger of, I don't need God. You'd be in danger of, he does not need, I don't need God anymore. And so to keep Abraham from not needing God, God gives him this last instruction, which is essentially saying, you have to stay tuned to me. Stay tuned to me to get the last instruction. It's all about the dangers of the already haves. That's what the end of verse 2 is really telling us. It's all about Abraham's danger of already have. See, like Abraham, like us, we can be so wrapped up in doing the will of God that we don't realize how much danger we're in of not needing God because of our already haves. See, the end of verse 2 is a warning for us. It's saying to us, you are in danger of not needing God from your already haves. We already have our salvation to meet our need of security. So why do I need God? We already have our Bible to meet our need for truth and to make us spiritually strong. So why then do I need God? We already have our church here, our fellowship, to meet our need for companionship, for fellowship, for camaraderie. We already have that. So why then do I need God? We already have our Christian music to entertain us, our need for entertainment. Why do we need God? We already have our minds and our memories to meet the need to create and teach Bible lessons and preach Bible sermons. So why do I need God? 
We already have our Christian spouses and our Christian friends to meet our need for companionship. So why do we need God? We already have our Christian homes to meet our need for a sanctuary of love and acceptance in the world. So why do we need God? We already have our health to meet our need for our strength. So why do we need God? See, the more already haves that we have, the less we need God. And we are so full, we get so full of our already haves that we don't realize how much danger we're in of not needing God. See, everything can run and operate without God. Our lives can operate without God. Our churches can operate without God. Everything, services, one, two, three. What do we need God for? Because without even knowing, we're in this great danger of the already haves of not needing God. And this not knowing how great a danger the already haves puts a Christian in is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ warned the Laodicean Christians of in Revelation three seventeen through 20 when he said, Because thou sayest, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing. In other words, I don't need God. And then he says, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire, thou mayest be rich. White raiment, thou mayest be clothed, that thy shame of thy nakedness uh, do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with thy salt, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. How could there be such a disconnect between perception and reality? How is that possible that they could perceive themselves to be absolutely not in sync with reality? How could self-perception of these Christians in the church of Laodicea be so out of touch with reality? Their self-perception was, we're rich, increased with goods. Reality, they were poor. Their self-perception was, we're in need of nothing. Reality, they were in great need of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a sad picture in Revelations 3.20 of the Lord Jesus Christ standing there and knocking on a door that won't open to him. And he's outside the door. And inside of the wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked hearts, and they don't answer. They won't open. Why won't they open the door? Because of what they said in Revelation 3.17. Because thou sayest, I'm rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. Because they said, I have need of nothing. I don't need God. They said, I don't need God. They said, I already have. I already have my goods and so forth. So why do I need God? That was Abraham's danger. So God left Abraham with a need to know which mountain he was to go to. And Abraham would need God to show him. So God's saying to Abraham, you stay tuned to me, Abraham. That's our danger. Sometimes, sometimes God takes away the, what we already have so that we need God and we stay tuned to God. So with his last instruction in verse 2, we can see Abraham, he has, he's walking over his checklist, walking along. He's going over his checklist. Let's see, I have, I have Isaac, check. Okay, now I've got the fire, check. Okay, I've got the wood, check. I've got the wood cut, check. I've set off in the right direction, check. But for the mountain, I have to keep on asking, is this the mountain, Lord? Is this the mountain, Lord? Is that it over there? Is that over there? I've got to stay tuned to God. See, there's a, this is a very important thing with this last part here. It's not God trying to be nebulous. It's not God trying to play games with Abraham. You know, Abraham is tense this time. And there's another reason. There's another reason why God told Abraham that he'd have to be shown where the mountain was. It was really tempting for Abraham to think as he walked there, maybe God didn't really tell me 
that I'm supposed to sacrifice Isaac. Maybe his mind could play some tricks on him. I mean, you, know, you could say, you know, I'm, maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe it was like a bad dream or something, you know. So Abraham, I think that maybe he just came up with all this sacrifice in his overzealousness to be devoted to God. So as a result, God keeps him in constant communication with him. The line's not to be broken. He'd understand this is 100% from God. Every detail is 100% from God. And even the mountain, I'm going to choose the mountain. You stay tuned to me all the time. And that'll be a confirmation to you that all these instructions have come from God. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. We want to continue to remind you of our tremendous offer that we're having as part of the resource of the month. It's our last week to give you this offer of Tom Cantor's DVD teaching on the six days of creation and the seventh when God rested. It's a DVD teaching with Tom Cantor and many other creation scientists. We're offering that DVD on the six days of creation and the seventh when God rested and a bonus resource, a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question about science and does it show millions of years in the Bible or does it show a young earth? It's a great book that will show you how the Bible and science both line up and explain the Ice Age. These two great resources will help you take a journey back through time, Tom Cantor's DVD teaching on the six days of creation, and the Ice Age book, all yours for a donation of $20 or more. Call 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051 for these resources. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we understand every detail about his sacrifice was determined by God the Father. was determined by God the Father. Everything, location, hill, where he be sacrificed, Daniel 9, 25, 26. Know therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score two weeks. The streets shall be built again. The wall, even in troublous times, Roman time were troublous times, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, for the people the prince shall come to destroy, etc., now, so we see here in verses 3, as we come now, verse 3 and 4, that Abraham starts out on his journey, and he's walking, as it says there, and he starts out, he's heard the instruction in verse 2, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and uh, get thee into the land of uh, Moriah, offer him there. But it's not until the third day that God shows him the mountain. see verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. So there were three long days for Abraham. And the question is, how did he do it? How did Abraham do it? That's what we want to ask ourselves. I mean, how was Abraham able to not go crazy during these three days of extreme stress? I'm building a very close relationship with my only son, and I'm thinking to myself, I have to kill him and burn him. So how does he do that? Those were the hardest three days in Abraham's life. How does he keep from just melting into a nervous puddle of anxiety over it all? How do you do that? Well, that's a good question for us. We get faced with these things also. The key to knowing how Abraham was not consumed with the anxiety of all this is seen in verse 3. Now, verse 3, when you look at verse 3, it's kind of a remarkable verse. 
because it's a verse of like details, details, details. You know, it's talking about saddling the ass and getting the wood and things like that. And he'd say to us, why are we reading this? You know, there's so much detail here in verse 3. I mean, Abraham has just heard the most shocking news he'll ever hear in his life. You know, you go kill and burn your son. That's shocking. And what Abraham did and what is described for us of what he did in verse 3, it teaches us how to receive shocking news. See, it's this detailed description here of exactly what he did. Look what it says. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddles his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son. Now we're watching him cut the wood. Is that important for us to know that Abraham cut the wood in such a shocking news? But it's what it says. And he rose up and he goes to the place that God told him. See, what this is showing us is that in verse 3, with all the waves of anxiety and terror beating against Abraham, we see Abraham not yielding to those waves, but instead we see Abraham focused on what he needed to do that day. He was focused on what he needed to do that day. We see Abraham saying to himself, okay, I know that I've got a three-day journey in front of me, and I intend to obey God and kill and burn my son up. And that thought about the future has the potential to drive me crazy, to put me out of my mind. I could have a nervous breakdown over this. I have tachycardia and every kind of fibrillation there might be. That's going to be. And so I'm not going to think about the future right now, verse 3 is telling us. I'm going to stay focused on what I need to do now. And so right now, I'm not going to let my mind run wild into the future, into the terrors of the future, into the fears of the future. Right now, I need a donkey. <laughs> so, all right. So I got my focus, my attention to go pick out the donkey. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm going to resist thinking about the future. Right now, I need a saddle. I need to saddle the donkey. So I'm saddling my donkey. That's why this detail is given for us here in verse 3. Right now, I'm not going to think about what's life going to be like without Isaac. Right now, I need to go find two young men. And so that's what we see him doing in verse 3. Okay, right now, I could be overwhelmed with the fear. of How am I going to do it? How am I going to plunge the knife into my son, cut his throat, burn him up? How am I going to do that? No, I'm not going to think about that. Right now, I need a knife. I got to go get a knife. Right now, I need wood. I got to go get wood. Right now, I need to cut wood. I'll cut the wood. See, there's a marvelous teaching for us in verse 3, and it's showing us what to do when we in our lives get the shocking news where we want to say, oh, no. You know, what are you supposed to do when you get the news? You've got cancer. Or you get the news, this, the loved one has, is sick, he's going to die, or he's died. What are you supposed to do? Verse 3 shows us what to do. Stay the course. Do what needs to be done. Don't worry about the future. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, 34, he says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient, he said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so what he's saying in Matthew 6, 34, he says, take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry or be anxious about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Tomorrow will have its own set, he's going to say, I guarantee you. <laughs> It'll have its own set of worries and anxieties. He said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. See, we've got to focus on that word sufficient. Think about that word sufficient. Think of a Jewish mother. And the Jewish mother says, sufficient, enough already. <laughs> I say, what? Today's troubles and anxieties are not sufficient for you? What's the matter with you? 
You have to go and borrow some of tomorrow's anxieties and worries because you don't have enough for today. It's enough for you, sufficient already. So this is what we see Abraham doing, just what he needed to do for the day. I need a donkey. I go get a donkey. I need a saddle. I go get a saddle. I need a saddle donkey. I go saddle. I need two young men. I'm going to go get two young men. I need a knife. I'm going to get a knife. I need wood. I need a fire. I need a cut. That's what I'm going to do. I need Isaac. I'm going to go get Isaac. And so verse 3 is really telling us what Abraham did on day one. And he had enough to do on day one. And at the end of day one, as he had already set off, he was an exhausted man. And so he had a good sleep. He was tired. And that's a picture for us of how we're to cope with anxiety and stress. See, the devil, he's the master at bringing us on the rides where the stress and anxiety increase. He takes us, you know what the devil's place is at Disneyland? Tomorrowland. (laughs) He wants to take us on the rides in Tomorrowland, you know. Remember I told you about John's little five-year-old Chloe, granddaughter, and how she will not ride on any rides in Disneyland that she cannot see where it goes. You know, like Peter Pan ride and Alice in Wonderland ride. Those should all be banned. I don't know why they ever did those things. You know, they start off where you go into a dark cave, you know. She won't do it, you know. I'm with Chloe. We need to be with Chloe. I don't like those rides. No, because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take us into the tomorrow land of these rides that start off with the dark caves. So what we see Abraham doing in verse 3 is he says, no, I'm going to stay in today land. I'm not going to tomorrow land. I'm in today land. And that's important for us. That's important because Abraham is saying, I'm not going on any Alice in Wonderland ride. I'm not going on any Peter Pan rides in Tomorrowland. Because like Chloe, Abraham is staying in today land, and he's only going on the rides that he can see what he's got right in front of him. And when we're under a lot of stress and anxiety, God doesn't want us to let the devil take us on these rides in Tomorrowland. He doesn't want that. Because God's Tomorrowland is different from our Tomorrowland. And that's what he said in Jeremiah 33, 3, when he said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You have no idea. Which thou knowest not. See, that last phrase, you know, which thou knowest not, that's God saying, your tomorrow land is not my tomorrow land. Okay? So don't let the devil take you on these rides of tomorrow land, because that's not my tomorrow land. God's Tomorrowland is expressed in Ephesians 3.20, where he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think or expect, according to the power that worketh in us. See, God's Tomorrowland is exceedingly abundant above all that we can ask or think. See, when, and when we're in trouble, we have prayer to the God who has a different Tomorrowland, because God answers prayer. That's what Moses was trying to tell, to, to make clear to the Jewish people, about what their greatness really was. He says, look, your greatness is not in yourself. Your greatness is in the proximity of God to you. Your greatness is in the fact that God answers your prayers. That's what he said in Deuteronomy 4, 7, when he said, what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Deuteronomy 4, 7. And this is how Abraham coped, you know, one day at a time, resisting letting his mind run into the future. Abraham decided, I'm going to obey God. This was Abraham's decision. I'm going to obey God. And so he set out, but he did it one day at a time. And if you want to write down a title over verse 3, you can write down one day at a time. Because that was day one for Abraham. But something else we want to see in verse 3. It says here in verse 3, but Abraham rose up early in the morning. 
and did all those things. So the first part of this verse shows us the heart of Abraham. Can you imagine this for Abraham? Talk about being blindsided. He has no clue that this is coming. There has been no previous indication from God that God was going to command Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. This just hit him blind. And up until this point in all of human history, God has never asked anyone to offer a human sacrifice. And up until this point in human history, God has never asked a father to kill his son. This was totally unprecedented. And so God has not prepared Abraham for this shock of verse 2 of being asked to offer Isaac as a human sacrifice. And when we consider this and realize that one day when God and Abraham were in fellowship together, God springs this on Abraham, this shocking instruction, oh, by the way, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's enough to make your heart stop. It's a shock. It's unprecedented. It's never been heard of before. Human sacrifice, father offering his son. So what makes verse 3 so impactful and what's so astounding about verse 3 is what is not there. It's what we don't read. See, in verse 3, we don't read that Abraham had Lot's response when Lot was commanded to flee Sodom and Gomorrah to the mountains. And when he said, you remember in Genesis 19, 18, oh, not so, my Lord. Lot was shocked at the Lord's command to don't live in the city, go live in the mountain. He said, oh, no, oh, he said, oh, oh, no, not so, my Lord. Flee to the mountains, oh, no, that's a shocking command. And in verse 3, we don't read anything like that from Abraham. Abraham didn't have Peter's same response when the Lord commanded Peter, Peter, eat the ham, eat the pork, (laughs) eat the lobster, eat the crab, eat the seafood. And in Acts 1.18, Peter says, But I said, Not so, my Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered my mouth, not this mouth of mine. No. Peter was shocked at the Lord's commandment. You want me to eat pork, seafood? Not so, my Lord. That's unclean. Eat unclean pork and seafood? Not so. That's a shocking commandment. That's a shocking command. Just look at this mouth of mine, Lord. Nothing common or unclean hasn't gone in. You want to ruin my record? How much less shocking are the commands to don't live in the city, go to the mountains and live, and eat the unclean pork and the seafood than to Abraham, offer your son as a burnt offering. And with those commands, we saw what these verses tell us of the resistance verses against God in Genesis 19.18 and Peter in Acts 1.11.8. See, those commands, we have the complaining and the arguing to God in those verses, Genesis 19.18 and Acts 11.8. Those are complaining verses. Those are arguing verses. And that's what makes Genesis 22.3, the verse we're studying here, so remarkable because there's no resistance on Abraham's part. It's so remarkable, verse 3. There's no complaining. There's no arguing. Jews are very good at complaining. They're very good at it. I told you, I went to my Dr. Goldberg and he listened to my heart and he said, oh, you have a murmur. I said, that's okay. My people are known for that. (laughs) But not Abraham. He's not murmuring. He's not complaining. He's not arguing. And Abraham doesn't say, oh, not so, my Lord. Not Isaac as an offering. He's not being commanded to make this terrible sacrifice of not living in the city, but instead live in a mountain. And Abraham's being commanded to make the sacrifice of his son as a burnt offering. And in verse 3, he's not complaining. He's not arguing. He's not being commanded to make the sacrifice to eat a ham sandwich and a lobster such a sacrifice. 
But he's being commanded to make the sacrifice of the son as a burnt offering. And in verse 3, he's not complaining or arguing. See, paralleling the absence of Abraham's complaining and arguing in verse 3 with Lot's and Peter's complaining and arguing in Genesis 19, 19 and, and Acts eleven eight, 8, it drives us to write down another title over verse 3. And the title is, Abraham did not complain or arguing. What am I complaining and arguing about? Having to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering didn't make Abraham complain and argue. And what do you and I have to do that makes us complain and argue to God? See, none of us have been asked to sacrifice our son, our child as a burnt offering. So we have nothing to complain or argue to God about. Another outstanding message today from Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program. And if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading on the go, and you're growing in your friendship with God and your walk with God, we'd like you to start or continue supporting this Bible teaching, this Old Testament teaching radio program. Many don't teach from the Old Testament, but Tom Cantor has an amazing ability and way to communicate the Old Testament in modern-day expressions as a master teacher that he is, and he empowers and encourages you as a Christian to grow in your walk with God. Now, if you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program, we need your support to continue airing on this station in this city. So please call us with a donation of any amount, and for any donation of $20 or more, we'll send you two resources, Tom Cantor's DVD teaching on the six days of creation and the seventh when God rested, as well as an Ice Age and Flood book that will show you that the Bible and science line up and explain the Ice Age and a young earth. Now, these two great resources are yours for a donation of $20 or more for your support of the Friendship with God radio program on this station in your city. So call us now at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. Get these two great resources. This is the last week to do so. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information.